stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm joined by Zach's senior strategist, Kevin Cook. He's also the editor of Zach's Taser and Healthcare Innovator newsletters. So he's been right in the thick of everything going on here in 2022 to talk about the growth stocks. What should you do? Should you sell them now? Now that they plunged down, should you sell? Should you buy more? Should you dollar cost average? like every month or every quarter or I don't know, every every day it seems. <laughs> Can you do that to save yourself if you dollar cost average? Kevin, I've gotten a lot of questions about this on Twitter and a lot of uh, requests to have you back on the podcast to talk about it all. So <laughs> what's an investor to do? This is one of the worst starts to a year for the NASDAQ. Um, in you know quite some time and um, one of the worst starts in basically like the last like 40 years so yeah um, since you had requests to have me on I I'm glad I'm remote and that there's nobody waiting for me at the office <laughs> <laughs> you know th this could be my purification for the sins of growth stock investing well is it sins though or is it just you know it it was so good for so long and how can you know when it's going to end? Or maybe it hasn't even ended. Maybe this is right. just a timeout and it's 2018 because the NASDAQ was down big in 2018. So maybe this is just 2018 again. And, you know, these stocks will will rise back up. Yeah, well, um, there are bigger sinners than others. And I so I would say the yeah. biggest sinners are people who just uh, held on to a Square or a Shopify or a, something like a Roblox, um, yeah. you know, near all time highs. And maybe they were buying on, you know, 20% dips. Right. Um, but then then you then the temptation that I fall into is thinking, OK, um, this stock is off 50, 60 percent. So now it's OK to buy. Right. And then, <laughs> you know, and then it goes and then it's down 70 percent. Right. But what what kind of advice then do you give to people who do want to buy maybe thinking they're getting it on sale depending on the company um but they they are running across this should they should they just keep dollar cost averaging <laughs> like well the final dust bottom or is you know as, or no? as always there's a mix of skills right i mean you can have the you can understand the logic of dollar cost averaging you can have a long-term view yeah. Um, and then you also get to know individual companies. So I, I could definitely make the argument if you like something like Shopify or Square that you should be buying here for the long term. Okay. But I, I, I think you have an angle on this that that people need to hear um, about the last time a tech bubble burst and how long it took for some of these companies to come back, right? Yeah. I definitely think we can learn some lessons from the 1999 into 2000, uh, you know, the, the dot-com bubble and then the bust. I'm not saying that this is like the same situation as what happened then, but there are some similarities in terms of, you know, 1999 was record year for IPOs until last year. And then there was a lot of speculative companies that went public in 1999 that 
were probably the ones that came public in 2020 and 2021 as SPACs this time. Uh, maybe not IPOs themselves, but they came to the public market anyways as SPACs. And there were several hundred SPACs. People don't realize how many of those there were over the last you know, two years as well, but especially last year. So that kind of uh you know speculation the surge in the new publicly listed companies means that you weren't getting a lot of good quality names in there some were some weren't but that's very similar to what happened in 1999. so some of the things that it does remind me of were a couple of names that i was watching back in 1999 so one of them was called webvan and basically they were uh, delivering groceries. So this was a new thing back in the 1990s. We take it for granted now, but yeah. in late 1999, they launched in the Bay Area. They did have a distribution facility and there were these vans that drove around and you would occasionally see them outside your apartment complex because it was, you know, the young people were going on their computers like, oh, I can order my groceries on here. And I think it might have had even like free delivery or something. But Webvan, um, they were uh, they started delivery in June 1999. So there was plenty of free money everywhere. The venture capitalists gave them uh, almost $400 million. The VCs groups gave um, because they were in the Bay Area. They could see the concept. They liked the concept. They went IPO in November 1999. So they raised 375 million at that. And at one point, the company was valued at 4.8 billion. Well, this all sounds, you know, pretty similar to some of the stories we've heard the last couple of years. And they had revenue. I, I keep getting this from a lot of people too, like, oh, the companies, you know, in this go around had real revenue, unlike in 1999. So yeah, there were some companies that did not have revenue <laughs> for sure in 1999. But Webvan was not one of them. They had revenue in 2000 as the as the bust hit. They made 178 million in sales, but their expenses were 525 million. So they had this disconnect, and then the bust was happening. So nobody wanted to bail them out anymore. There was no no free money anymore by the time the bust began. And they ended up going bankrupt by June 2001. So they ended up losing about $800 million. This is all according to Wikipedia. And they had about 2,000 employees at one time. And they went under, but we now know that concept of you know delivering your groceries from a distribution center is now what we do in everyday life. So their concept was correct. Just the timing was off. Um, then we had the bust right when they came to the public market, but they were one who didn't last. Another one who didn't last that more people are familiar with um, that you might have heard of is Pets.com. Also, again, online pet supplies. That was a new thing in November 1998. So that's when they started and um, they ended up uh, you know, attracting a lot of attention. They had the sock puppet. People remember that little puppet on the commercials. Their tagline was genius. It was because pets can't drive. Remember? <laughs> I uh, forgot that. They can't drive. They had a float in the 1999 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. They also spent $1.2 million on their 2000 Super Bowl ad with the sock puppet. 
Uh, so all that was going well. They had sales, but they offered free delivery. Now, nowadays we take that all for granted. Oh, free delivery. Yes, of course we're getting that. But back then, this was a new thing. And they were trying to give free delivery to things like cat litter. Well, you know, they're not going to make any money. So they basically lost money on every item that they sold yeah. or nearly every item. So they too um, did the quick IPO, but they went IPO. Um, I do remember this because it was very late in the cycle in February 2000. So they didn't even do it in 1999. It was right when the dot coms like the the window to go public was closing, but they managed to get in there. It was only $82 million IPO, but they didn't last long at all. Uh, by November 2000, so not even a year uh, as a public company, they were already laying off most of their employees, but they did have 570,000 customers on the day that they shut down by by that by November. Um, but overall, from uh, according to Wikipedia, from February to September of 1999, when they were spending all this money on the advertising and everything, they had 619,000 in revenue, but they spent almost 12 million on advertising. Um, so the concept again was correct because PetSmart tried to buy out some of their assets after they went BK. And to, to this day here in 2022, if you type in pets.com, the actual domain name, it goes to PetSmart now because they did end up buying the domain name ultimately. So we and we also have Chewy, another you know online pet supply company. Uh, so this is another one where the concept was good, but the timing was just kind of you know iffy. But I know many of the people listening out there also have a company that they bought into over the last two years. Uh, you know, either an IPO or a SPAC. Wait, before you do that one, can we just talk about the the two uh, the two that you just talked about in the Wayback Machine there? Yeah, sure. So you you covered um, web was it called Webvan? Webvan, yeah. Yeah, and and then uh, what was it Pets.com? Yeah. yeah. So so what? So I want to make this relevant for newer investors who who weren't investing back then and don't don't right. remember any of this. So so why is this relevant? Well. It's relevant in the, in the sense that um, we we had something like a stock bubble in you know after the coronavirus and software stocks just flew higher and investors couldn't get enough of them and it seemed like the new paradigm we had we had ten months of digitalization and ten you know in we'd had ten years of digitalization transformation in ten months yeah so software was the place to be. But the, the stocks all went too far. So we did have our own tech bubble again. Yeah. Um, and so you could. So there are lessons, I think, from from 1999, 2000, um, where you look at a company back then. I think the, the caveat for back then, there's actually two. One, we we ended up going into a recession. So things stayed down longer and companies went bankrupt. But also that that the Web was so new that these new business models were really in the wild west and it was it was sort of a you know that's just the way it was for investors and the companies the companies were spending all they could and yeah. the investors were hey this you know this is a gold mine this you know this could be the next hot thing um and 
So maybe investors are better at evaluating things now, although but, so uh, many of these software stocks <laughs> got bubblicious right? again in 2021. But um, at least from what, you know, from that example, the software stocks had, they had the revenue, you know, they were <laughs> actually, they weren't pets.com where they made $690,000. Like, right, no, right. No, they, they like, you know, they had either subscription or they're, they're selling it. They had real revenue. Um, so I feel like that is one of the bigger differences too, between the quality of the companies that have gone public or even just the, the type of bubble that we just had, say, in the software side. Like The, the other lesson I want to mention, and I don't know if you're going to get to this right now or later, is that um, some companies that did survive and are extremely important companies today, and I think of Microsoft and Amazon as two of them, um, you know, yeah, you would love to be an investor in Microsoft and Amazon a couple of years ago and, and caught their 50% runs higher. Uh, and maybe you want to buy them soon now. But they were they stayed down for a, over a decade, right? Like Microsoft and Amazon were nothing for over a decade after that right. crash. Yes. But before we get to that, because I do want to talk about yeah. that too, because I get a lot of people on Twitter telling me, but Tracy, I'm just going to dollar cost average and I'm getting <laughs> it so cheap and I can stick around five or 10 years. That's what they tell me. That's yeah. what they say. But that's what I said in 2002 yeah. or 2001, somewhere in there when I started buying Microsoft. Yeah. That you didn't think you were going to have to add another 10 years. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I, I do want to make another comparison to some of the companies now versus like the web bands and the pets.coms of the world from back then, because there were a lot of SPACs that have gone, um, you know, DraftKings is the maybe one of the most prominent ones. But there's another one that I've been tracking called Skills. It's S-K-I-L-L-Z and the ticker is S-K-L-Z. And some of you may know this because it's like a mobile esports company. So they have an app that uh, allows you to play a lot of games on your phone with your friends. Like, so it's an interactive okay. type thing. And they've slowly been growing their revenue. So they're not without revenue. They're expected to make uh, see revenue of 400 million this year in 2022. And uh, analysts have them at 467 for 2023. So they have that, but they are still not earnings positive. They were not last year, they lost 69 cents. They're expected to lose 71 cents this year, um, but they went public via SPAC in December of 2020. So they went public at $17.89 and the market value at its peak, I think was around three and a half billion, maybe even more. And now they have a market cap of 880 million because the shares have sunk down. Year to date, they're down 69% and they're only trading at $2.27 the last I checked on March 15th, 2022. Um, some of the insiders at Skills, this is how I found them because some insiders did go in there to buy when uh, they were, you know, a couple months ago, uh, they, they dove in, but the shares have continued to sink down. But, you know, I, I'm sure some are asking, how low can this go? Well, it's at $2.27. <laughs> um, and what will become of a company like this one that is still growing the revenues, but it's got the 
the negative earnings, but it's clearly out of favor. But there's a lot of these types of these smaller caps. They're not in software necessarily, but you know, more recent publicly came to the public market. So it's one I'm I'm just kind of watching because I don't have an answer. Yeah, to, and it, since it's relating to, to gaming, I'll tell people to take a look at Zynga. Zynga has been dead money yes. for 10 years at like seven dollars. Right, so, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's gonna get bought. It's gonna get bought," and it just sits there. Every time I look at it, it's seven dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a cautionary tale too, right? Um, just yeah. because it gets down there super cheap under ten dollars doesn't mean it's always gonna rise up off that level for sure. Can I can I talk about a seventeen hundred dollar stock now? Yeah, yeah, okay. please do. That that would be Shopify. Okay. Shop Shopify seventeen hundred what was my target all last year when I was an owner? Okay. Then I got then I got tricked out of it, and then in November, let's see, made an all time high of seventeen sixty three. Wow. Yeah. Now, so that was in late November. So and it closed out. Uh, let's see. Let me. Oh yeah, here's December. So. So we had that sell off into December, right? But the stock yeah. still closed. The stock still closed near 1400 in December. Okay. So for the That's thing that I wanted now now that Shopify just had a 70% correction, greater than 70% and it's trading 550, I wanted to see who my big um my big whales were that I admire who were buying in Q4. Okay. And, and and probably some of them were selling because we had a we've had a couple of big breakdowns in the stock here where you know it broke below thirteen hundred and then it broke broke below eight hundred. So let's just look at some of the biggest holders and buyers. So the one of the biggest holders is my uh, my favorite growth stock investors, Bailey Gifford. Uh, oh, yeah. The the Scottish warlords out of Edinburgh. There's just it's owned by nineteen partners and it's. You know, it was an old insurance company a hundred years ago, and it's just an investment institution in, in the UK. They have uh, consistently been one of the largest holders of Shopify. In in Q4, they sold forty four thousand shares. Now that sounds like a lot for a you know a fifteen hundred sixteen hundred dollar stock, but they still hold five point four million. Yeah, I was going to say that's nothing. Yeah, as of yeah as of December thirty first. So I'm right. very curious to see what they've been doing this quarter. Have they, you know, I'm sure that they didn't picture Shopify going down 75% right. or they, or they probably would have sold a lot more. Yeah. So did they sell any that, you know, did they, or were they buying? So that'll be a good one. Yeah. Um, and then another big investor I wanted to look at um, is Fisher. You know, um, Fisher Investments. Yeah, because uh -huh. they—he loves the fangs. Okay. Ken Fisher, he loves the fangs. So, in Q4, he was a buyer of Apple, AMD, Microsoft, and Uber. He's buying all those. Okay. And his biggest positions are like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and he's probably unfazed. You know, he's probably still buying, um, but. This just goes to show you that even the smartest guys in the room have definitely gotten hurt in in Q1 here. But there could be an argument made for the fangs 
um, or even the Fang Man, if you want to extend it a little bit to Microsoft and NVIDIA, that, you know, they weren't that overvalued. They weren't like Shopify, I think, was trading at like, what was its P.E. at one point? Like it was like at least 100, right? Oh, I never look at the P.E. of Shopify. I only look at I only look at price to sales. And it was it it was, you know, it was trading 30 times sales at one point. OK, but I don't think any of the Fangmans were ever that no, high. No. no, I mean, even Microsoft was getting a little bit high for Microsoft, but it was what at like 13 times or, you know, price to sales, I think 13 something like that right it wasn't real bad yeah probably even lower than that on price to sales so um yeah i feel like there is a difference and people should know that there is a difference between skills the one i was just talking about yeah and some of these big caps that have the revenue growth that have the earnings um some Shopify was more expensive on all of those fundamentals, PE or price to sales than the Fangman's. But, um, you know, all of them have pulled back, but you can see the difference. Shopify is down, you know, 60% year to date right now versus, you know, the Fangman's aren't down 60%, not even close. And we should we should clarify or just talk about some of the uh, how investors get caught up in the story of a stock. Right. Now, I I was my boldness with Shopify was reinforced by Bailey Gifford because they do deep fundamental research and then they buy stuff with a long term view like they want to buy stuff and hold it for five to 10 years. That's just the way that so they looked at Shopify as being this significant player in e-commerce. Yeah. Um, And they can obviously they've got the deep pockets, you know, they can sit and hold it. It's not going to hurt them. But if the average investor says, oh, yeah, you got to buy Shopify because it's the next Amazon. They could be making a critical thought error because, <laughs> first of all, you know, Amazon became what it is in the past, you know, seven, eight years because of AWS and the cloud services. Right. Right. That's Not the e-commerce side. The e-commerce yeah. side was just sort of, uh, you know, you know, cash flow to fund other things. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that, be, you know, Shopify is going to, you know, win this enormous market. Um, although they might eventually, um, there was just too much hot air in the stock price at, yeah. you know, 25 times sales. Well, that's the other thing. Uh, we can go back now to talk about what happened in 2000 and with some of the big names then, right? So the Fangmans at the time were the tech titans, they were called. So it was Cisco, Intel, Microsoft. Amazon was not a tech titan. No. Who was the who was the fourth one? Cisco in It wasn't Apple yet. No, it was Microsoft. Was it Dell maybe? Dell might have been in there. Oh boy, I can't remember I, now. Um, but suffice it to say there were four of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, might have been Qualcomm. Maybe Qualcomm? Yeah, Qualcomm. Yeah, it was it. Yeah. Qualcomm. It was yeah. like one that went to a thousand dollars. Right. Super insane, right? They're still around too. Um, but you know, I took a look at Microsoft. So because that's the one I started buying on that big sell off. So at that time in 2000, you know, it started to sell off. And between the beginning of the year in 2000 and, you know, the end of that year, the shares were down 58%. And the S&P 500 was down only 10 during that. Whoa. So Microsoft came down big. Now, we were trained 
via the bull market of the prior decade that if you get a 58% decline in Microsoft, which was killing it still in 2000, you know, it still had um, Windows, you know, still had a monopoly on all of that, that this was on sale. So that was around the time I did start buying. So I'm, I'm doing what I'm sure a lot of people are doing right now, thinking this is on sale. And the next year, 2001 into January of 2002, it did rebound. It was up 58.9% that year while the S&P 500 was down 13% because we all dove in to you know, try to get the shares on the cheap thinking, oh, that was the buy the dip, right? So we did get the rebound, but um, you know, even though you got the 58% rebound, it still wasn't getting you back to where you were if you bought before that big slide. But nevertheless, uh, 2002 arrives. We're still in the dot-com bust. We did not know at the time, but we still were in it. A 9-11 had happened. And uh, Microsoft ended up being down that year, 2002, another 21%, basically mirroring the S&P 500, which was down 22 for that year. So by the third year, so we had one very bad down year, a big up year, and then it was down, and then it basically was down. So for the it was, it went from uh, growth at any price to growth at no price, right? Yeah. Even though it was still making billions of dollars, it clearly had a you know a business model that was working. The street didn't care. I think somewhere in there by like 2005, 2006, they decided to declare a dividend, thinking that that would keep some people around investing, and they had all that cash sitting there. So I think they did like a special dividend to pay out to all the long-suffering shareholders. Um, but I looked at it from, uh, let me see, from 2003 to 2005. So maybe if you thought like you were real smart, right? You got in after the three year sell off. So then shares were dirt cheap. Nobody wanted to be in it. I'm gonna buy it here. I'm gonna, you know, I'm in at the low, but Microsoft for those two years was still down about 1% over those two years while the S&P 500 did rebound and was up 30. Yeah, it did nothing. It just, I'm looking at the monthly yeah. chart. It just drifted between 25 and 30. Right, and you you didn't, it went nowhere. And everybody who was in it all those years trying to dollar cost average, basically like myself, I think I sold out around 2005, 2006, because I just got sick of it. I was like, no, it's going nowhere. You know, energy was energy was soaring. Exxon Mobil's making new highs in that those same years, and I was like, I could be making money somewhere else. I'm out of here. So I I jumped out after a couple of years of dollar cost averaging. So I just put this out there as a cautionary tale to all of those kind of newer investors who think like, oh, I can do it. I can buy you know, some of these companies that don't pay a dividend, so you're not getting anything. Microsoft is not one of those now, but at the time it was not paying a dividend until, you know, like I said, around 2005 or something is when they started. But, you know, some of these other growth names, you're not gonna get a dividend and the stock may or or may not, we don't know yet, go, go anywhere. It just may not. So you think you have the backbone or the patience and the discipline to stay in there for all those years, but you may probably not really have it. And, you know, I mean, only the very, I, I mean, I, I 
tweet this out all the time. I try to find investors and I, I ask people on Twitter, please tell me if you bought Microsoft like down there at in 2003 and you held it the entire time up until now, please, you know, send me a tweet, send me something because that's amazing and you're doing quite well, right? Or the same thing with Amazon. I, I want to talk to someone who did buy it down when it got to like $7 during the sell-off and did not sell when it went up to, you know, $300. Because I think a lot of people who, who did, and there were some who did get in at the lows, did end up cashing in and have not been holding on to Amazon. Or we would hear about it. Like you, right. would, you would tell someone, wouldn't you, if you've owned it all that time? You just would. <laughs> I would. I don't know. Yeah. I, I know that some people on Twitter are like, oh, there's some people who don't need the accolades. But no, <laughs> like, you know, I would be on my like yacht somewhere because you would be rich yeah. if you had held it all that time. You just would. So I don't know. But I think my Microsoft is going to be square. Okay. Here we're looking at a stock going from from 280. I thought it was going to get above 300, and you know, we're and we're back down to. Um, Oh, I mean, we've we've been uh, what to do today. Oh my gosh, it's back above it's back above 100. It was it was wow. it was, was kind of dicey there. I didn't know if it was gonna if it was gonna hold on to 100, but we had a good day, so it it closed at 103. Uh, but I think it's gonna take a long time for Square to come back too. And I and I didn't think that it would collapse like this. I thought it, I thought they had a fintech ecosystem that serves small business that was you know so strong that it wouldn't even matter if jack dorsey you know did something crazy like change the name to block like you know right. that wouldn't, that wouldn't matter right you know his obsession with the blockchain but yeah here we are so this may take a long time to come back well do you feel the same way about paypal because that's you know similarly I mean, huge sell-off yeah, well, area. I, you know, the only thing I can think of that they hate these big fintechs so much is that there's so much competition coming and there's no barrier. There's no real barriers to entry. Okay. Um, uh, and my example is um, I followed this guy who he was at Goldman Sachs and then he started his own boutique investment bank just focused on fintech. It's called Financial Technology Partners or FT Partners. You can follow him on Twitter. And I've and he publishes some excellent research reports for free. And uh, one of the standout things about 2021 is it was the biggest year for private financing of fintechs. And we're talking there's thousands of fintechs out there and many dozens of unicorns. There's probably over a, a hundred unicorns, you know, private companies worth over a billion just in fintech. And 2021 saw 140 billion in deals in private financing. So VC loves these fintechs. Yeah. And I, and I think that all this innovation, all this hard work from all these startups is a threat to, to Square and PayPal. Okay. You know, they, they, they don't have moats. <laughs> so what should investors be doing here with their growth stacks? And you really, you really got to do your homework. I think Shopify is a buy here. I think Square is a buy here, but that's my opinion based on my homework. And, right. and you got you got to believe because, and you also have to know your worst case scenario. Like if if all the new fintech IPOs that are probably gonna once the market gets healthier here, we're we're just gonna see a lot of these unicorns 
try an IPO so that the you know the investors can get their exit. Yeah. Um, what you know what are the new technologies you know from from a you know a SoFi to an upstart or whatever you know do those do the, could those imply another twenty percent down for PayPal and Square or do you think that PayPal and Square have enough of a beachhead? and in investment capital that they can sustain it and then they'll buy those smaller companies you know you so you kind of have to figure that out what about some of these um like biotech e type of stocks or like the ones that are in healthcare that have seemingly round tripped now during the pandemic i'm thinking like invitae for example yeah. the invitae story just goes from great to bad to worse. I mean, it was going to be great because they were developing this network of, uh, you know, genetic data and testing, and they were just going to serve, you know, they were going to create the data network of having all this genetic information. And then they were going to be, um, that, that genetic testing would become this, this sort of life cycle thing where if once a year, maybe you went and got the latest new genetic test just because you were curious about something. Yeah. Um, and that that whole vision has completely fallen apart uh, with, you know, with uh, their revenue growth and whatever. So, yeah, yeah. And you look at Arc Genomics. I mean, that's the 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 Kathy Wood Fund, Arc G. Yeah. I mean, that's the poster child for this this meltdown here. I mean, that that thing is down. That fund is probably down. Um, sheesh, from its highs, it's probably down almost 50 percent over 50 percent that has to be right and yeah and then that means individual individual names in there are down 80 percent you know yeah so biotech is definitely on the ropes i would say that what i just told my people is that um crispr is going to be a a big thing in the future now does that mean that the stocks are going to be a great investment in the next two or three years not necessarily um i thought that they would would be considered valuable assets and get scooped up by big pharma. But then all three of the CRISPR stocks already have partnerships with big pharma. You know, uh, CRISPR is hooked up with Vertex. Uh, Intellia is hooked up with Regeneron. And then Editas has had partnerships with Allergan for, for, uh, for diseases of the eye. But yeah, so they're not going to get bought. But And the clinical data proving the both the efficacy and more importantly, the safety of gene editing could be another two or three years away. So you have to have a really long-term horizon for what gene editing could be. Um, and you know, I try and keep my optimism up. In fact, it's just this past yeah. weekend, I went looking for uh, scientific articles and blogs, and I found a great podcast by a CRISPR scientific research firm called uh, Synthigo. And they had some guests on there just who some scientists who are just really excited about the developments in CRISPR and not just in CRISPR, but how CRISPR relates to mRNA, messenger RNA, mm-hmm. and how it relates to uh, uh, CAR T therapies, you know, uh, immuno-oncology, uh, uh, chimeric yeah. antigen receptor T cell technology. So all there's so, so many cool things happening because they're learning to use these platforms uh, in conjunction with each other. So listening to the scientists, you get really excited, but it's still a long-term horizon. So right. I would say, I would say, if any investor wants to touch biotech, 
that they could buy the XBI right now, which is the equal weight biotech ETF, and that way you you have more exposure to the small companies. Right. And you could even buy Arc G. And you know, I, I think that Kathy Wood's going to pull it off eventually. And um, and so like she's buying a company called Adaptimmune down here at ten bucks. She's been yeah. buying like last week. I swear she she was buying like four or five hundred thousand shares a day. Well, yeah, it makes more sense to be in some kind of ETF for for these. Yes. Yes. The same way I would have wanted to be in an internet ETF after the dot-com bust, because you don't know who's going to be the web van and who's going to be the Amazon. You didn't right. know. So if I bet only on web van and not Amazon, I got burned. But if I bought the ETF, it, you know, they might have still owned both of them, but at least they had one of the winners in there. So yeah, it makes sense to want to buy the ETFs here. What about some of the growth stocks um, outside of tech or biotech, like some of the restaurants like Chipotle, that's pulled back big. Should investors be, you know, these guys have been around a while. Should they be taking a second look at some of these on the sell-off or? Yeah, I don't know the valuation for Chipotle, but I would say, you know, if you want exposure to quick service, you know, eating, that's probably a pretty good play because they've got a quality model you know, that's yeah. that they can easily replicate. Um, I mean, it's it, yeah, it's it looks like it's found some good footing um, near 1325. Yeah. And back up near 1500 today. So, uh, you know, some big investors are, are seeing opportunity here. Just kind of wondering on some of those, you know, other names that got stretched a bit during the pandemic and that are also coming down. So do you have any, any final advice for anyone <laughs> out there? I mean, it's, uh, you know, we always got to go big picture too. Okay. You want to, you want to answer questions like, is the economy in bad shape? Is, right. it, is it decelerating so fast that we're going to risk a recession because then stocks can still go down a lot more. And I yeah. think the answer to that question is low probability. I think the economy right. is, is humming along, um, you know, uh, so that's good. Monetary policy. Well, monetary policy is not exactly a tailwind right now since, uh, and we'll find out a lot more tomorrow when the Fed comes out with their meeting, but yeah. um, you know, the projections are that they might hike six times. And you know, a, a month ago, they, everybody, Deutsche Bank thought they were gonna do 50 basis points tomorrow. They're not gonna do 50 basis points tomorrow no. because no. the stock market has come down so much and we have the, the, the tragic war in Ukraine right now. So. The, you know the Fed's going to be more cautious, but it'll yeah. be all ab it'll be all about their forward view of GDP and inflation because that will yeah. tell us how many more times they want to hike this year. And if they're so worried about the you know we've had these temporary spikes in inflation of you know seven eight nine percent, um, if they really think that they need to you know rates need to go a lot higher to stave that off, um, you know I. I think that's jumping to a big conclusion that's you know not not there and and they'll just take it they'll take it week by week with the data. So right. You know, so 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 given that the economy's fine and the Fed's not totally trying to slam on the brakes, it's a good time to be an investor still. And you're getting a lot of stuff on sale if you do your homework. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I have a wish list that's about 35 to 40 stocks right wow. now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That, you know, it's a good time for value investors. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of these, some are the growth names that's pulled back, but even some of the value stocks have gotten cheaper in the sell-off. They're, they're, they've been selling off too. 
So why not get some of them even cheaper? So yeah, people should be keeping their lists out there. Um, okay, so let me recap some of the stock tickers we talked about. There was Shopify, ticker is S-H-O-P. Skills is S-K-L-Z. We mentioned Zynga, Z-N-G-A. There's Block, formerly known as Square, ticker S-Q. We talked about Microsoft, MSFT, uh, PayPal, PYPL, Amazon, of course, AMZN, Invitae, NVTA, the ARC Genomics is ARKG, the other biotech ETF that Kevin mentioned is XBI, and we mentioned Chipotle there at the end, CMG. So as always, Uh, You want to be sure to subscribe because we're trying to answer all your pressing investing questions during this uh, pullback here. And there's always things to talk about and things going on. And I'll probably have John Blank on soon enough to talk about the economy like I always do. So you don't want to miss a single episode. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, of course. We're on Spotify and Amazon Music, but get us somewhere, and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.